As much as we all strive to be relationship goals, there is not one relationship out there that doesn't come with its personal struggles. You're listening to Unsweet and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode 37 of season two. In today's episode, I sit down with Zahra Jabri to discuss the topic of marrying our unfinished business, how to overcome the pain points of our current relationship, and how to deal with insecurities from our past. You know, I was never a fan of the quote, two people have to fall apart to realize how much they need to fall back together. Why is it that relationships have to reach this point where it seems like a solution isn't at an arm's length? Is it because our hearts are laced with pride and ego, or are we entering one of the most challenging chapters of our lives, the chapter of marriage, without the proper guidance? We tend to forget that in a relationship, it isn't you versus me, it should be you and me versus the problem, right? But why do we often whisper I love yous and in contrast, we have no issues screaming out the harshest of words to our significant other? Relationships don't last because of the good times. They last when you handle the issues with compassion and kindness. So where do we go from here? In this episode with Zahra, we break it down when it comes to dealing with past issues manifesting themselves in our current relationship. We also discuss how to deal with our partner's insecurities, especially when they feel entitled to our social media passwords, for example. And how do we have brutally honest conversations with our significant other in regards to what we may each be lacking? I hope this episode provides some form of clarity for you, regardless if you're single, engaged, or have been married for 10 plus years. Every relationship comes with its struggles, so why not obtain the necessary tools to overcome them? Let's dive in. Thank you so much, Zahra, for joining us today. This is going to be a conversation that's all about relationships, things that I don't think we've covered before on the podcast. But before we dive in, we would love for you to introduce yourself. Assalamu alaikum, Dunya. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Zahra Al-Jabri. I am a spiritual relationship coach. I support Muslims who are striving to achieve more in their marriages and Muslims who are single who want to get into a relationship. I support them by going deep to the inner work to figure out what is blocking them from the relationship of their dreams so that we can uncover it and so that they can feel supported by Allah to reach their goals. I believe that Allah wants us all to experience love, to experience peace, to have abundance, to have the best of this world and the hereafter. And my goal as a coach is to support Muslims to get there. You're incredible, Zahra, because honestly, I always feel like you're always filling everybody's cup with the the conversation about abundance and just reminding us of our faith and God, especially in relationships when things can get a little tough. It can be a really great area when it comes to relationships, especially when you're trying to do things the right way, Islamically and whatnot. But I just love that introduction. And I can't wait to even talk about your spiritual coaching and whatnot. I really want to get into that because I think it's important. I think it really benefits our community because not a lot of us kind of have that spiritual coach when we're entering such a big phase in our life, such a huge chapter. And that's the chapter of marriage. And sometimes we don't have guidance when it comes to marriage. It's just like, oh, now I'm living with this person. Now what? What do we do after this? Like, you know what I mean? I want to start off with this question. We marry our unfinished business. What does that mean to you when I say we marry our unfinished business? Yeah, that's a, you know, a nice way to put it. (laughs) Another way to even think about it is that in this journey of life, you know, Allah is guiding us to just continue to grow and develop and improve our character and to purify ourselves. And one of the 
number one places for us to grow and become better is in relationships. It is in our friction with other people, rubbing against our parents, rubbing against our siblings, rubbing against our, you know, future spouse or current spouse that we test and reveal our true character. And when you think about marrying your unfinished business, you know, in a lot of relationships, you can run away. Right. You get into an argument with your friend. You avoid it. You know, you drift off. You're not friends anymore. Your siblings, something, whatever, you move to another place. They move. You just lose connection. Your parents, uh, you know, they're driving you crazy. All right. I only just talk to them about whatever. I just talk to them about politics or I only talk to them about this thing. And so you can avoid all of these different things, all of the friction that you're supposed to be, you know, rubbing against each other so that you can practice, you know, being patient, being calm, being generous, being all these things. But instead, you've been able to run away and avoid them all. And then comes and now I want to get married. Now I'm in a relationship. And you realize that like, you can't run. No. <laughs> You're in the same house. You're living together. And so all that unfinished business that you didn't address with all those other people that you had an opportunity to address it with, you did not. And so now Allah's placing you in a situation because constantly he wants you like, I want you to be able to, you know, express a boundary. You didn't express it with your mom. You didn't express it with your sister. You didn't express it with that friend. Well, now you're married and you've got to express a boundary. And if you don't express that boundary, you are going to find yourself in a very difficult marriage where, you know, you're feeling overwhelmed, overburdened or whatever it is. And so now you have to do it. Like I said, Allah wants you to be able to enjoy and live and um, appreciate your life. And the best way to have a healthy life is with healthy boundaries, healthy relationships, healthy self-esteem, healthy, all of these things. And again, it's developed in your interactions with others. So when you get married, if you have all of this unfinished business, yes, it's going to come up because the point of life is for you to pursue and develop these capacities and this growth. That was such an amazing explanation, Zahra, because you literally, that's exactly how I feel. Like, I feel like sometimes we we jump into these relationships, but we haven't even like patched up the relationships that we've had prior to, to entering a marriage with somebody and whatnot. And sometimes it's like, I feel like, I don't know if it's called anger, displacement or whatnot, but it's like, are, you're angry at somebody else. You have unfinished business with other people. Like sometimes, yeah, it's your parents, it's your siblings, but then you take it out on the wrong person and that ends up being your spouse, the person that actually lives with you that, you know, can come face to face with you. And I think that is difficult. And I feel like for me, when I say we marry our our unfinished business, I feel like oftentimes like our past is making its way into our current relationships. And I think that is a recipe for disaster, like you said. And I think sometimes, you know, we allow like the past issues of our lives to manifest themselves into the new relationships of our lives. The one thing that I find super tricky is closure, just a topic of closure. Is it necessary to have closure? If Let's just say you were engaged before, you're, you broke off your engagement, years down the road, you found somebody else and whatnot, but do we need to actually sit down with this person from our past and get the closure we need? Or can we just receive closure without even talking to that person? What steps can we take to just get the closure that we want rather than kind of, you know, talking to the person in the past? Sometimes we don't want to have anything to do with that person. There's a reason why we left them and we don't want to revisit that. So what do we do in that instance? That's a great question. And I think for this one, it depends. 
It depends on how the relationship ended, whether you need to get the closure from them or whether you can do it on your own. But I will say that probably for the majority of cases, you can get the closure on your own. And the way that that works is that a lot of times people, when a relationship ends or there's a falling out or whatever things happen, people are, you know, hurt. There might be devastated. It might be, you know, so painful or it might been like, you know, oh, good riddance. Like, I'm glad, you know, it was weighing me down. They realize right away that like, oh my gosh, I was in a bad situation and I'm glad I'm out. But in many cases, no matter how it goes down, there is a rush to be over it right? Like, ah, I'm over it. You know, like your friends come like, okay, how's it going? Like, I don't want to talk about it. You know, whatever, like it's done, whatever. When we just like want to want to be over it. So we just declare that we're over it. We avoid talking about it. We avoid every time we, we think about it, even if we're on our own, like, I don't want to think about that. Let me go watch something or let me go eat something or let me go call a friend. And we just are avoiding the pain that is coming up, right? It's feel, it's making us feel pain. And we're like, I don't want to feel pain. That person doesn't deserve my pain. So I'm not going to think about it. And we just skip over. And then that's the reason down the line that you're like, oh my God, I never got closure. It's not that you didn't get closure from that person. It's that you did not allow your own self to go through the process of reflecting and learning and closing out this chapter. You just skipped, you know, it's like you're reading a book, you're at the last chapter and you're like, oh, this chapter seems so scary. I'm just gonna close the book. I'm gonna close the book and I'm done. But you skipped that last chapter so you never really finish the book. So you have to go back and sit with the pain. Okay, it brought up the feeling of abandonment or it brought up my insecurity that maybe nobody would love me or it brought up this worry that I have that people won't give me what I may, what I need. You think, you reflect on it, you think about it and you get to the point where you can realize that mostly it's bringing up fears, that you can overcome those fears and see that, okay, those fears are not true. I am lovable. I am worthy. I'm deserving. I can have what I want. You get to that point and that's how you get closure. You get the learning. You understand what fear, what issue this relationship brought up, what problem you were facing and how you contributed to the problem. Cause that's the other part of this closure piece. We're just like, Oh my God, it was all them. They were crazy. Mm -hmm. They were too demanding. They were, you know, so controlling they were this. And you don't think about any of the ways that you um, participated in creating that relationship. So you think, Oh, you know, I didn't express, you know, my boundaries or I was so eager to please them or I was any way that you were in that contribution so that you can learn for the next relationship. So when you go through that, you will give your own self closure and you don't need to, you don't need to talk to the, the person about it. You just, you don't. And you can, you'll even get to the place where you understand what, oh my gosh, that's why I did that. That's why I did these things. And you'll realize they were doing those things to me, but it wasn't about me. It was something unresolved, unhealed, some trauma within them. So then you'll even be able to kind of let go of what they did to you. Cause sometimes we need closure of like, they did this to me. They said that thing to me. I want them to apologize. I want them to explain why, why did you say that to me? Why did you just leave? Why did you never, and we want to know why, why, why? Because we think knowing why will make us feel better, but the why is going to be something about them. It's going to be something about, I didn't know how to express this. I was so overwhelmed. I It's just going to be about them and it will have nothing to do with you. And like, oh, okay, you just did that because, you know, you're just scared, you're worried, you're afraid. And you can get yourself closure when you 
go through your own reflection, you'll realize why you did everything and it'll help you to remember that that's probably why they did those things. So you don't need to go back to them to hear what they have to say. You'll know it was because of some issue with them. That's why they did those things. And then you will feel the feeling. You will have read that last scary chapter and now you can close the book and put it on your bookshelf. And now you'll look at that book on your bookshelf and you'll be like, I learned X, Y, and Z and I'm really grateful I did. Oh my gosh, Zahra, you, you're just like coming with these answers. I absolutely love that because for a little bit, I felt attacked because I was like, oh my God, that's me. You kind of want to almost like figure out that person. You want to figure out why they were the way they were, why they treated you that way. And you want to try to understand them, but you're wasting so much time and energy trying to understand them and figure them out when you haven't even done that for yourself, when you haven't even understood why you even got into a relationship with somebody like that in the first place, when the red flags were very evident, very prominent, and you still continue to choose to stay with that person. So there's a lot of unresolved issues within yourself. And when you talked about answers, I think that's beautiful because you can honestly find all the answers that you need within your own self. I think sometimes we want to like find the answer somewhere else outside of us. But the beautiful thing is our healing journey starts with ourself and it ends with ourself. And you're, you are right. We don't need to involve that person when, when it comes to our healing journey. You have everything, all the tools, all the resources that you need within yourself to start this healing journey. And I think that's so beautiful because a lot of people do kind of struggle with it. They struggle with trying to understand why their ex-significant other did the things that they did to them. But sometimes you're never going to find that answer ever because they need to be on their own healing journey themselves. And I think that's that's what it is. I think sometimes we get into certain situations, we kind of go through certain hardships, but you know, allow us to be stronger in whatever way. Like there's a reason, there's a purpose. Like when I went through what I went through, I was that person that said, I'm strong, I'm done with it. Let me rush out of here. Goodbye, good riddance. Let me move on with my life. But it's like, here I am six years down the road and it finally caught up to me. I tried my best to run away from it. I tried my best to suppress it. But six years down the road, it just came at me full force where I had to like, I actually had to reckon with what I went through and try to understand just how to kind of grow from here. Where do I go from here after dealing with all of that and after running away for so long? This is my resting spot, but it's also the, the spot where I need to do all the work that needed to be done at that point. But I you know, chose to not do it. You know, another pain point that kind of comes within relationships is your partner's insecurities. And sometimes maybe this doesn't even have to involve insecurities. But, you know, for instance, if a partner said, you know, we, we're married and whatnot, and I feel more comfortable if I knew your social media passwords, this is something that I, you know, I asked this question in our snaps the other day. I asked people like, how do you feel if your partner approached you and wanted your social media passwords, your phone passwords. Do you feel like your partner is entitled to it? Or do you feel like, no, I need to set some boundaries and explain to them I'm a private person or there needs to be some level of privacy within our relationship. This is a partnership, not an ownership. Like you are not entitled to my social media passwords or anything else. How do you feel about that? How do we approach conversations like that without it becoming bigger than what it really is? That is an interesting point because conversations like that where it's, it seems touchy in some ways, like, oh, okay, you want my, you know, you want my social media passwords. Always conversations like that that seem to be about one thing are about something else, right? So a conversation like that or an issue like that seems to be about like, oh, we should have access to people's things or we're married now, so we should, you know, have full transparency. But it's actually about something deeper. It's about an insecurity. It's about trust. It's about a fear. And so it's pragmatic for the person to be like, 
okay, you know, try to approach things with your spouse with an open mind. If a spouse makes a a request in a kind of respectful way, like be open to be like, all right, that's interesting. You want us to share our social media passwords. Why? And, you know, let them explain why and like, okay, and why do you feel that, you know, just dot, like have the conversation so much of today, we are afraid of the conversations. We're literally afraid of any conversation, right? Um, I was just talking to my friend yesterday who uh, is in a relationship with a new guy and she's like, oh, he called me unexpectedly. So far, all of their calls have been scheduled. She's like, he called me unexpectedly. And when I saw the phone ringing, I was like, oh my God, he's calling to break up with me. I was like, what? Like, where did that come from? (laughs) Where did that come from? (laughs) (laughs) It's just fear, like just jumps up into our, into our heart. Like, oh my God, he wants my social media passwords. Like, what is it? He wants that. You just like fear and whatever. And so we're like shut down. No, you know, we become defensive. We, we close off. We assume all of these things that prevent us from just having the conversation. So for this topic and for any other that, you know, you might feel like, "Mm, what's going on here? Ask like, you know, this sounds like something else is going on here. What is, what is going on? Are you worried about something? Are you afraid of something? Or what is it? You know, let me know. Let's discuss this because the main thing in our relationship is that we want to feel comfortable with each other. We want to feel at peace. We want to feel secure, right? Allah said in the Quran, like, you know, your your spouse is like your garment that, you know, a warm, cozy sweatshirt that like you feel good in. You don't want to be wearing the scratchy, itchy clothes that like you're constantly uncomfortable and feeling, uh, I can't move. Oh my God, the sweatshirt is so uncomfortable. You want to feel warm and cozy. So in your relationship, you want to be able to like, let's, you know, let's discuss. And maybe it might be like at the time that they bring it up is not a good time to have like a full conversation, but you can say, you know, can we set some time aside to, to have this conversation? Um, And something that I do think is really powerful is a weekly marriage check-in where you dedicate an hour a week to, to talk about your marriage, to bring up whatever issues and the way that it is set up as a weekly check-in allows you to like, you know, to, to bring things into that space without it, because it's already pre-scheduled. Like, okay, this week I wanted to talk about whatever. So it doesn't have to seem like, oh my God, you know, I really had this thing on my mind or this is blown up. You have this structure, this safe space where you can have these discussions. And there's a whole format and way to engage in that conversation that allows it to be a neutral place, not a place that gets to two elevated emotions. I mean, that can, of course, arise. But when it's set up as a weekly check-in, you're preventing it from being like an escalating conversation. And you have these tools and resources on your website, right, Zahra, when it comes to just how to even engage in these type of conversations? Because sometimes, yeah, it's like, it's not easy. Yes, it's a conversation and it's not with a stranger, it's with your spouse, but it is unfamiliar grounds to be able to sit down and talk about what was on your mind for the week and whatnot. This is really something that's incredible and much needed in our community. So we will discuss um, spiritual coaching and how it benefits um, every relationship out there. And going back to like relationship pain points, I feel like another one that a lot of people relate to and I don't know how we can kind of move away from this thought process but sometimes you know we're in a relationship with somebody we're in a marriage with them we obviously love them we want to be with them but how do we refrain ourselves from bringing up past issues you know you're not perfect your spouse isn't perfect you've made mistakes here and there along your you know journey and whatnot but sometimes when you're arguing over something all of a sudden everything from your past is also brought up into that argument how do we separate these situations and how do we also like 
move on from the first mistake, the second mistake, and just like kind of isolate these mistakes and talk about them in an isolated manner rather than bringing everything from our past into the present moment. Yeah, I mean, this is a really difficult one. You know, I've been married for 12 years. So, you know, I've got 12 years of baggage. (laughs) That's a lot when you think about it, Michelle. But it's just like, yeah, like, how do you not bring up the first thing that you guys fought about into your current fight right now? It doesn't make sense, but it does happen. It does happen. And so there's two aspects to it. The first aspect is the acceptance, acceptance of of whatever happened, right? A lot of times we get caught up in like, it shouldn't have happened that way. You shouldn't have said that thing. You shouldn't have treated me that way. Like you, you know, you should have come with me to my friend's house. You should have whatever, whatever. Although we know we can't go back and rewrite the past somehow, like just staying in that place of like, but that's how you should have done, you know, behaved before gets stuck in our psyche. So we have to get to this place of acceptance. And this is where, you know, you kind of bring in faith into it. You remind yourself that, okay, it was supposed to happen that way. Like, you know, Allah decreed for it to happen that way, you know, that they, whatever, that they didn't come with me, you know, to my friend's party and I wanted them to. And accept that that was the way that it was supposed to go down. And the second piece is that we have to forgive. And here's where we have to forgive And it's not just about forgiving them for what they did. It's also about forgiving yourself, forgiving yourself for whatever ways that you contributed to that situation. So let's say, you know, in this example that they didn't come with you to your friend's house, maybe you actually didn't make it clear. Maybe like, you know, it was an invitation. Oh, you know, our friend's having a party, like, uh, let's go. And they were like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to hang back and I'll stay back. And like, no, I want, you know, like, let's go. They invited us and like, no, I think I want to hang back. And you have to forgive yourself. Like, no, I didn't say like, you know, I would really love for you to come. I want my friends to see us together, to meet you or to, for us to, I have so much more fun at these type of things when you're there with me that you didn't open up and really express like your desire to have them there. Like you were making it seem like this is a party, like you should come. But he didn't know that it was it was coming from your own place of like really wanting him to be there. So you have to forgive yourself for that piece. And then you have to forgive him. Right. Sometimes we think, well, he should know that, you know, I want to be with him. Like, but sometimes guys don't. I mean, you have to explain a lot to guys. Yeah, <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> we literally said the same thing. I'm like, you kind of have to like really break it down. I'm not trying to dumb them down. No, absolutely not. But certain things matter a lot more to us than it does to them sometimes. I think that's how I feel about it. Yes, exactly. So then you can like be in the place, you know, you're thinking that he's thinking like you, that he's like, I don't want to be with you. But he's just thinking like, oh, this party, it sounds like a bunch of your friends. I don't, you know, I feel awkward when I'm there or I, you know, end up only talking to you. And I can just wait till you come home to talk to you. Like, I don't want to go. So then, you know, to for, to forgive him and to let that peace go. So it's the two parts, the acceptance and the forgiveness will allow you to now, when the next incident arises, to not bring up the past. And even if you do bring it up, you can bring it up in a more constructive way. You know, last time that this happened, you know, I realized that I didn't really share with you. So I want to share with you now or, you know, whatever it is that you're not just bringing it up. Like last time you didn't come with me, you keep never coming with me to all these things. I'm going by myself. I don't like it. You're bringing it up. You know, the last several times you haven't come with me. And I realized it's because I haven't told you that, like, I really want you to come because I love it when you're there with me. It makes the it makes me have more fun. And sometimes I feel guilty that I can't stay out, you know, longer hanging out because I don't want you 
to feel bad that, you know, I'm staying out late and I'm, you know, neglecting you. So I really would love it if you would just come from come with me. And if you don't enjoy it this time, when you come with me, like, then we can talk about, you know, how we could do it in the future. But I want you to come right now so we can try it out. And, you know, saying it in that way is a totally different dynamic than just saying like, you never come with me and I hate that and whatever, whatever. And it just having no place to go. There's no place to go to a solution. And when you are in a relationship, your arguments, you're going to, of course, have some arguments that are just like your frustration and venting. But if it's an argument about something that is reoccurring or that is really hitting some, triggering some sort of pain within you, you want to take some time to reflect before you engage in the argument so that you can say, what do I want? What do I want from this? How do I want things to be different? So part of your argument is to provide a solution or a way forward. Like, can we move to this place? This is what I want. And then even being open to, and what do you want? You know, so that you can engage again in that conversation of going back and forth, of expressing your needs, expressing your desires, expressing your your hurts, your pains, your insecurities, and all of those things that will come up. Because the way forward is through that open vulnerability. And these days we have a lot of show of vulnerability without the actual vulnerability. Exactly. I think, you know, honestly, we don't do this to our partners to just seek vengeance or to remind them of their shortcomings or whatnot. I think sometimes if we're continuously bringing it up, it's because we really internalized it and we've allowed it to fester in our minds. And I think it's a lot of it almost kind of moves away from it being our partner's issue or the mistake that they made to more so now it's our issue. Like, why do you continue to bring it up? And sometimes we have to really like there needs to be a pause, like you said, between that reflection point and that reaction point. I think we kind of have it backwards. We react right away with not the best reaction. And then afterwards, we reflect upon our reaction. And then we're like, oh, gosh, why did I react that way? Clearly, what he did this time was not a big deal. But obviously, I was thinking about the 10 other things that he's done in the past. And I've allowed it all to kind of come together. And that's why I was so angry at him. So I think there needs to be a lot of reflection. And you have to really realize if this person that's in your life right now, your partner, your significant other, if this is somebody that you genuinely want in your life for the rest of your life, we really, really need to be careful with our words. We really need to be careful with the way we treat them because sometimes I feel like we get so used to our partners staying that we feel like we can say anything that we want and hurt them to the core because we feel like oh they're still gonna stay let me just like let everything off of my chest no matter how harsh it sounds I think we need to really hold back some of those very very harsh words and really sit down and reflect and ask ourselves, why am I still angry about what happened three years ago when we've already moved on? And I'm still with this person. I'm choosing every single day to be with this person. So clearly what happened wasn't a deal breaker because we're still together. So I think that's something that we really need to reflect on when it comes to relationships. And just talking about these things, I think what we also lack is brutally honest conversations. We're so quick to hurt one another when we're in a disagreement, but we can't actually have a loving and brutally honest conversation. And what I mean by that is actually sitting down with your partner and letting them know in a kind way what they're lacking. Because your partner's not going to make you, like they're not mind readers. He's not going to know what makes you happy, what ticks you off, what triggers you if you don't explain it. Sometimes I think we find ourselves more so venting about our partners to our friends rather than actually like approaching the person we do have an issue with, which is sometimes our significant other. And if we actually sit down with them and talk to them about what we feel is lacking in the relationship. What are your thoughts about that, Zahra, to have these brutally honest conversations that, yeah, sometimes they're not going to be lovey-dovey. They're going to basically bring out the shortcomings in each one of us. Yeah. If there is something 
you know, that you are feeling that you need to address about your partner, like, you know, they're consistently, you know, not showing up in this way or not, you know, contributing in this way, then a place to start to have that honest conversation is to to understand that it is a relationship. It is a partnership, right? There is a push and pull. So if you're feeling like they are not showing up in some way, know that that is a reflection of you not showing up in some way. So if you want to address that issue, then you have to be prepared that, well, I'm, you know, going to tell him that he's, you know, not doing this, not doing that, whatever, whatever, all these things that I don't like, and he's got to shape up and you have to sit and reflect and think, okay, and what is he going to bring up about me? What is he going to say about me that I'm not doing that? I'm not whatever. When you think that you may not know what it is. You may be thinking, you know, I do all of these things or whatever, like there's nothing he has against me, but just prepare yourself that like, there's going to be something, you know, that he's feeling an unmet need. That is why you're feeling an unmet need, right? Because believers are mirrors to each other. So there's a mirror. So to have this conversation, the best way to have this conversation is to sit down, you know, hey, babe, you know, I feel like we're kind of disconnected and we're, you know, not on the same page right now. And I really want to know, is there something that is that is lacking from my side that I can do more? How can I be a better partner in this relationship? So you start with yourself, you know, and he's going to be like shocked. Oh my God, she's never asked me these questions. Plot twist. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Like what's going on here. Right. And he's going to be really scared and timid be like, okay. And he'll approach it gently because he will, you know, he's not been simmering with all of this like you have, but you know, on the, on the spot, he, there will probably be something that he's like, you know, you spend a lot of time talking to your siblings or to your friends on the phone. And then, you know, when you talk to me, I feel like you don't talk as much with me. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. All right. You know, when you discuss how you can do better and whatever and how it will look. And then now you can say, okay, you know, for me, there's this thing that's been bothering me that you, whatever it is, don't help me cook dinner or you don't clean up the house or whatever it is. And now you can say it because you've allowed him to express his first. And this, this, you know, technique or tool, yes, it's a technique, but it's also a self-awareness on your part that you recognize that you also are not perfect, right? So it's going to take, you know, your own courage to do it this way. A lot of people are quick to point out other people and are very remorseful and, you know, slow to be like, oh, you know, I'm amazing. I do all the things. And it may be that you're doing all the things, but you might not be doing the things that he needs from you. Yes, I love that, honestly, because I think sometimes we do think that we're bringing a lot to the table and we feel like we're so quick and easy to judge our partner on their shortcomings and what they've done wrong or what they they lack. I just can't stress enough, a relationship cannot get better if you do not have communication. But I've also been reading, it's not just also about communication, it's also about comprehension, really, really understanding why your partner feels the way that they feel. But I I really do think that it's important for us to just like, you know, approach this in a more compassionate way instead of being very defensive. Because when you're being defensive, they're going to also put their guards up and it's just going to be a fighting match rather than a space between you and your partner to be able to just to talk things out because this is your partner. This is your significant other. You obviously are approaching this conversation because you do want things to get better. But the thing is that conversation is kind of going to give you that foreshadowing of if things will get better. If you're approaching this very defensively and you guys are both attacking each other, your relationship is not going to get better. So when 
you do start the conversation with that self-awareness that you were talking about with putting our guards down, being understanding of one another and comprehending what, you know, what each of you lack and whatnot, I think that's how you can grow as a couple. Something that I feel like I, you know, as a Muslim, you are taught to always be forgiving. If Allah can forgive you, why can't you forgive his creations and whatnot? And I totally wholeheartedly believe in that. But my issue is how do you not allow someone to take advantage of your forgiveness? How can you tell the difference between someone who, you know, a partner who's genuinely deserving of your forgiveness versus somebody who depends upon your forgiveness? And when I say depends upon your forgiveness, they will make all the mistakes that they can and they, they'll know at the end at the end of the day that you'll always end up forgiving them. So they don't care about hurting you anymore because they know that you're going to always come back to them. How can you tell the difference between those two types of people? And then how do you draw the line? How can you be able to value yourself enough to know that you do deserve better? You do deserve somebody who actually listens to you and doesn't continue this hurtful behavior? That's a deep question. Yeah. You have to recognize that you're in the cycle with them, right? So they keep doing the same thing, but you are in the cycle of keeping forgiving them. And so you have to sit down first and understand, well, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of, you know, if I do make a boundary, if I do set a line, if I do make an ultimatum? What am I afraid will happen? I'm afraid, you know, that they're going to leave or I'm afraid that, you know, they're going to get more angry or I'm afraid, whatever it is, like figure out what you're afraid of and then figure out, well, what is it that I want? And then make a decision on how you want to live, right? Because it is your life. It's your life. You can decide the patterns that you're going to be in. And if you're going to decide that I don't want to be in this pattern anymore, even if it means, you know, encountering this thing I'm super afraid of, then that's when you'll have courage to break the cycle. And that's when you'll have courage to, you know, set the boundary, draw the line or whatever it is. And a way to kind of gauge if someone is abusing your forgiveness or not is to again, to have that conversation is to sit down with them, you know, like two or three times you've done this thing. And, you know, you said, please forgive me that I'm not going to do it again. And here we are and you've done it again. So I really need to get a better sense of what's going on. What is driving your behavior? What is motivating it? How, you know, how are you falling into this, you know, same pattern? Because, you know, from my end, I've sat and reflected. And what I understand is that you're not taking my requirement for you to stop this seriously. And so if you're not going to take me seriously, then I'm going to have to take serious action by, you know, by leaving or by, you know, making some other sort of drastic measure and have the conversation, have the conversation, right? Like I said in the beginning, the relationships are a place where we have the friction, where we rub up against each other. And this is a place where you're going to rub up. Why do I keep having you know, this person do the same thing to me and ask me for forgiveness. And they, you know, why do I keep, you know, not respecting this person's, you know, boundary or whatever it is and have that conversation so you can both heal, right? The goal is to have healing. The goal is to have peace. The goal is to experience love. And with all of what we've discussed, even especially like the previous topic, you want to have your intention behind it. You want to have an intentionality that my intention is to improve my relationship. My intention is to bring more understanding. My intention is to have more harmony in my household. And so if you have that clear intention that is for a forward moving purpose, your mutual benefit, then it centers you in a place to engage in these conversations 
without all of the defenseness defensiveness that we can typically fall into. When you're like, you know, I want to figure out why this person keeps doing this to me because I do love them and I want to continue in the relationship with them. And I, my intention is for us to have a harmonious, loving relationship. You're going to approach that very differently than if you're like, you know what? I don't understand why they're doing this to me. And I want to know why. And if they don't, then they got to get out. You lose sight of the relationship, your goals, your future, all of those things, because you're so fixated on in the moment. So much of, of everything that we go through in life can always benefit from the pause and reflect before you engage. So many times we just are feeling the anger rise up. You know what? This is the last time. I'm not going to laugh at it happen again. When they come home tonight, I'm going to tell them. And you're just totally lose sight of like, wait, what do I want? How do I want things to go? You're just stewing in that anger. So if you can find a way, you know, and there's so many different ways you can meditate, you can journal, you can pray, you can make dua, you can, you know, whatever way works, you can go for a walk, go for a run, do exercise, call a friend, whatever it is that can get you out of that type of feeling defensive, feeling just angry so that you can have a moment to pause and reflect and recenter so that it's not to say that you're not going to have the conversation, but you want to have it from a place that creates solutions, that creates forward momentum, that breeds harmony and love. Because presumably that's what you want. You're in the relationship with this person, I presume, so that you can, you know, enjoy a great relationship and all the benefits that a relationship has. If you already are at the point where like, you know, I'm done with them, then that's a different conversation. You, you know, you can be done with them in any way that you want to be done with them. You could still, you know, do that from a more loving tone. But if you're like, I'm fed up, I'm done. That's fine. Be done. But if you want to continue, then find a way to get yourself to pause and reflect in whatever way works for you. You, you need more of constructive conversations to happen rather than destructive. Because like you said, if you're willingly choosing to still be with this person, what do you get out of having a destructive conversation? Ironically, when you do pause and reflect, you are able to kind of get all your points across. I think sometimes when we're angry, we just want to show it all and tell them how we really feel. But we actually don't end up really telling them how we really feel. We're just like reacting and everything is just like our mouth is like everything is spewing out. It's just, you know, one hateful remark after the next. So that's not really you getting your point across. But when you do take the time to pause and reflect and really think about what's really bothering you about the situation, I think that's when you will have a better and more constructive conversation between you and your partner. I think sometimes also when you're like in a relationship early on, this is something that also kind of bothers me is when a guy will tell you like, you know, you don't deserve me, you deserve better. You know, you look at that like, oh my God, he's so humble, so self-aware. He knows I'm better than him. And I'm so, no, that's, that's not it really. He's basically telling you indirectly that he's not willing to work on himself to be deserving of you. You know what I mean? What do you get out of a guy telling you, you deserve better than me? No, you want him to kind of be on the same level as you to do the work then that is needed in order for two people in a relationship to thrive with one another. So I don't want anybody confusing that as a love note, like, oh, he thinks I'm better than him and I'm so amazing. That's no, he, there's different ways um, your significant other can compliment you rather than saying, oh, you deserve better than me. That's kind of a red flag. Like, oh, shoot, then yeah, why haven't I raised my standards? What am I doing with somebody that thinks that it's okay for them to just always kind of approach our relationship half empty and not really giving me his all just like I'm how I'm giving him my all you know what I mean so that's something else I wanted to just put as like a little footnote when it comes to relationships early on but something that I wanted to also bring up is again obviously this podcast we talk about you know just our struggles as women and one thing that I feel like a lot of us women struggle with is 
why is there so much negative talk surrounding a woman who is willingly choosing to leave a relationship? She's just reached her breaking point. She's realizing this relationship is not serving her or even serving the both of them. It's not always just about her, just serving the both of them. And so she's choosing to walk away right away, almost a community or even just like the people that surround her, they're ready to set her up with somebody else. And and it's almost like that's not why she left. And sometimes when a woman leaves, it's because literally she's doing it for her sanity. She wants a peace of mind. She feels like that that relationship kind of, you know, really drained her and she's kind of wants to recuperate and really refocus on life and recalibrate her intentions and reset her intentions. So how can we kind of empower these women? How can we start having these conversations and letting people know that, you know, as a woman, you're still whole, even if you don't have a partner, even if you're not in in a marriage. Honestly, marriage is a beautiful thing, but it's not beautiful when you're with, you're in it with the wrong person. So what's your idea about this? We had this conversation on the phone and I absolutely loved um, your perspective on this. Yeah, we did talk about this, Dunya, and I was sharing how so much of society portrays that, you know, men, the bachelor life is like the peak that bachelors are like the best thing ever they did to experience life, be free, be with their bros, you know, date many women and all of this stuff. And when they get married, oh man, you're locked down, you're chained up, you know, well, you have your old woman at home or whatever it is. And so for men, the notion of getting married is of a loss of a loss of independence, a loss that, you know, oh, all right, we'll see you later. Catch you later, bro. And then for women, women, you know, have the experience, oh, when you're single, like, okay, that's fine. You can enjoy. But when you're married, now you've got it. Now you can get the home and the family and the white picket fence. And now your life really starts. You're married. You know, we get, especially as Muslims, we get that so much cultural pressure from our community, from our moms, from from the aunties. And so, yes, when a woman, you know, leaves a relationship, the community thought is like, oh, no, you know, need to get her with someone else right away if we can or poor thing like, oh, poor thing. Like, that's it. You know, her life is over. It'll be so hard for her when really like those notions are just, you know, messed up that men have a lot to gain from being in a relationship. You know, they gain so many, they gain companionship, they gain therapy, they gain household management services, they gain the gifts. Their wife orchestrates all the gifts for all the people in their family. They gain so much. And same thing, women lose a lot when they get married. They lose independence. They lose freedom. They lose autonomy. They lose, you know, so many, in, in many ways, especially as Muslim women, we're conditioned to be subservient, not just to our husbands, but even to our husband's family. So you can just feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm at the whim and mercy of all of these different people who you should do this, wear that, cook for me, da da da, blah, blah, blah. So when we can have a more realistic picture that men have something to gain and lose from a marriage and women have something to lose and gain from a marriage, then when you see someone walking away from a marriage, then you'll understand that, you know, it was not an easy decision, that something really wasn't sitting right and that they are leaving for themselves. Because especially for women, all of society's pressure pressures you to stay. And you can see that, you know, from Muslim and non-Muslim alike, that there's a lot of pressure to stay in a marriage, that the stigma of being divorced, that the, you know, the stigma, not just of being divorced, but of like, ooh, was something wrong with her or what's, you know, what's going on or all of those things can be can be really difficult to face. And we know that, you know, all women know that from the get-go, right? We know that from when we're single. We know that from when we're married. And if we choose to go into divorce, knowing that that's what people are going to think about us, 
Like that means that, wow, it was worse than that. It was worse than me being labeled as a divorcee. It was worse than people whispering behind my back that, oh my God, she'll never get married again. It was worse than all of that, whatever I was experiencing, because I decided I would rather face that whole stigma from the community than be in this, you know, crushing relationship that I was in. And so if a woman gets divorced, you should really be like, how can I support you? You know, what do you need? What help can I do? You know, what emotional, physical, mental, whatever support do you need? Because for sure, she is doing it for herself. That is so true. I just want to snap my fingers at all of that because it's like you really hit it on the head because that whole concept of, yes, when you're single and you're living with your parents, you already know the community and the way they react to women and, and, and the choices that they make. That's how horrible the situation or the relationship was that you're ready to just like leave this one person and face now the backlash of the community, the backlash of your extended family and whatnot. Because it's like, yeah, when I got my divorce, I not one person asked me, how can I support you? Other than obviously my parents, my own family, but it's just like everybody else is just like either they want to know the details of why, or they're just confused as to why like you couldn't hold on a little bit longer. And I'm like, hold on to what? Like, what do you, what more do you want me to hold on to? You know what I mean? So it's, it's very triggering when a woman that does end up getting divorced, when she has to actually explain herself over and over and over again. And even after she explains herself, they still think that's not enough. They think that, oh, there's worse marriages out there. It's like, I don't know what's worse than abuse, but okay, whatever. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, it's very sad that, that this is what a woman has to face when she does end up finally breaking free. Mind you, it's not easy to finally leave a relationship. So I'm glad you made that point. It's really, really not easy. That's like, I think a very difficult part. So I think as a community, we really need to embrace these women. And we also need to realize that as women, we're not only made just to get married. There's more to us. Like I said, marriage is beautiful. I'm obviously a strong proponent for marriage. It's beautiful. It's half of our dean and whatnot. But I, I think there's just a lot of gray areas when it comes to marriages. I think this is why there's a lot of issues and whatnot. I don't think we're really prepared well enough to enter such a huge step in our lives. And this is why I think it's really important to talk to somebody like you to, to kind of highlight the work that you do within our community. And it would be great if we can talk about that, the spiritual coach and how it benefits it's people who are in relationships or even just some, do you even have to be in a relationship to even want a spiritual coach? Yeah. I just wanted to add that when a woman also gets divorced, not only is she going to face that stigma for herself, but she's going to additionally face that stigma for her family. Like, oh, how could you do that to your parents? Or, you know, some parents do this. If you get divorced, what will that mean? Your sister won't be able to get married now because our family. So you are like facing so much pressure to like stay. And so that she still did it. You know that like this was not easy and that she was facing something truly, truly difficult that she wanted her sanity, her peace of mind for it. I just want to really highlight the compounding pressure and that any woman who is struggling, who goes to a separation, goes to a divorce, that our whole community really needs to reframe our reference and also understand why aren't we looking at the men? <laughs> why aren't we examining their behavior, their character, putting stigma on them to you know, step up and be in whatever role that they need to be in so that we can have a balanced conversation around this, that it's just all this pressure towards women to get married and pressure towards women when they're getting divorced. It's also, you just brought up a good point. It's almost like also a race between the spouses that just broke up. Whoever gets married first means that they weren't the problem. It was the other person that was the problem because guess what? She's still not married. 
married and whatnot. So that's also something that like our community does where they kind of like pressure their divorced son or daughter to get married right away because it just shows that it wasn't you. You're not the issue. Here's another person who fell in love with you and you're married and now you're good. So it's like, no, that that's not healthy at all. That's, that's marrying your unfinished business. Literally what we started with. I love how we're ending it with, but I do want to talk about spiritual coaching and how that can really help prevent situations like these. Yes. Okay. So definitely. So spiritual coaching, just think of coaching in general as regular fitness coaching, nutrition coaching. It's the same similar concept, right? You go to a fitness coach and you're like, I want to run a faster mile or I'm trying to get, you know, flat abs and they will devise a program to get you to your goal. And, you know, a lot of people ask, well, what's the difference between coaching and therapy? Therapy is tends to be focused on your past, going over your past and and examining it and trying to heal from whatever past issues occurred so that you can move forward in your life. Whereas coaching, we're not focused on your past. We'll deal with things from your past as we need to, as they arise, but we are forward looking into where is it that you're trying to go? What is it that you want to achieve? And how can we move you there? And we'll look at your past in so much as that it is um, blocking you from getting the result that you want. Because the most part, you know, you approach a coach when you're like, you know, I've tried the diets, I've tried working out and, you know, I'm not getting the results. So now I'm going to hire a trainer because I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Another way to think about it is if you've ever looked, you know, at a window and you see the light shining in through a window and you see the little particles, dust particles floating in the air. And then if you turn your shift your angle to a different angle, you no longer can see the dust particles, but they're still there. So as a coach, what I do is to shift your angle so that you can see the dust particles. Because when you can see what's in the air, you yourself will understand, ah, this is what I have to do. But when you're at the wrong angle and you can't see it, you're just kind of like, I don't, what am I supposed to, I'm trying to do this. I don't know, it's not working. I keep going and it's not working. So as a coach, I helped you shift yourself so that you can see more clearly what's going on. It's right, an outside reflection to what's going on in your inner state. I just wanted to give one more analogy that your coach is also not someone who necessarily is better at you at something, right? Like Serena Williams, tennis coach is not a better tennis player than her, but he's looking at her from an outside perspective, like Serena, you need to lift up your elbow more, or you, you know, you crossed your foot there. You need to keep your stance wide. He just has an outside view to tell her where she's making mistakes. So coach is not better at your life, right? You're the expert in your life. You are the most understanding, knowledgeable, driven about your own life. But a coach is there to give an outside neutral eyes. Like you said, you wanted to do this, but you're approaching it in this way. That doesn't align. So you're going to need to do something different. And a coach can help you as much as you want the help, as much as you want to help yourself too. You know what I mean? There's only so much a coach can do if you're still kind of like being defensive and whatnot. But I think it's beautiful that you also bring our faith into this. And and I love that. And I love that idea where we can always just bring it back to faith. But I feel like, you know, sometimes like, I don't know if our generation is ready for just that conversation of needing. Yeah, we we need spiritual coaches. We need therapists. We need this stuff. Because when we're holding on by the last thread, when it comes to our marriages, 
That's when we go and talk to the imams and the sheikhs of our, of our you know, local masjid and we let them know what's going on. But I just feel like it's a little too late. I feel like if we're so comfortable to be able to go to a masjid and talk to the sheikh and let them know all of our issues, why not hire a spiritual coach, somebody that can help you from the very beginning? I think we need to start taking preventative measures rather than taking last minute solutions. And sometimes you yeah, have last minute solutions going to your masjid and trying to figure that out. But I feel like when you reach that point, more often than not, I feel like it's a little too late. That's just how I feel when you're kind of seeking that help. So that's why I think it's, it's amazing to have a spiritual coach, somebody who can see you in your entire and they can give you like a judgment-free solutions to your issues and what you're going through. So is this also part of like marriage counseling? Is it kind of the same thing or it's more just like you said, it's a different perspective when it comes to counseling versus therapy versus coaching? Coaching can be for the in, in individual and also for the couple. And it goes back to the very first thing you just mentioned is that people have to be coachable, right? So it has to come from within that I'm going to go out and seek someone to support me on this. And I'm open to hearing what they have to say and responding and, you know, uh, listening and taking their direction or their lead from this. You know, there are people who don't want to do that work, don't want to engage. You know, I've had some siblings and parents approach me like, oh, my son needs coaching or my sister needs coaching. And it's like, that's not going to work. They have to come themselves and say, I want coaching. You can't impose that on someone else. And the way that I really think about this is that the Prophet was a coach, right? The Sahaba came to him and like, okay, teach us, you know, share with us. And he would sit with them and he would discuss and share knowledge. And then they would come back. Like I struggled with this, you know, I committed zina. I would, you know, telling it and judgment free, he would tell like, okay, you need to whatever, whatever. And we have so many hadith where it's the same question being asked and it's a different response. And the traditional like sheikh answer to this is like, oh, look, there's so many ways, you know, there's different answers for this. But the actual answer is that the Prophet was a coach. So it's a different response because he is responding to the person who asked the question. You know, there's multiple hadith where like the person asked, you know, the religion has become too much for me. You know, tell me one thing that I should focus on. And the Prophet told um, one person, control your temper, control your anger, control your anger. He said it three times to that person. And then someone else asked that. And he said, guard what's between your legs, guard what's between your legs. And so it's not that those are the two most important things that, you know, if there's one thing for you to focus on, it's he knew who he was talking to. You have a temper problem. If you can manage your anger, that will be so much in elevating you and helping you improve your character. And the other person, he knows that you've, you've got a wandering eye. If you can rein in and control your, you know, your guard, your modesty, that will be so much in helping you improve your character. So he was a coach that he was looking at individuals and understanding their situation and giving them specific advice. These days, when we go to our imam and our sheikh, they are giving us generic advice. You need to pray more, read more Quran. Did you read Surah Al-Kaf? Did you, <laughs> like, I'm asking you, like, my husband is doing this and this to me. I am struggling with this. Like, I need specific advice. I don't need the generic advice that you're giving on the Jummah Khutbah, right? And that's because the sheikh imam barely knows you. He hasn't taken time to understand your situation, know what's going on. Like the Prophet ﷺ knew his sahaba. He would see them daily or weekly or whatever and would engage with them. 
And in their defense, they have so much on their plate too. Like you're an imam of of a masjid. You're dealing with so many other issues. There's only so much we can ask from our sheikhs and our community leaders. There's only so much. That's why this work, this type of work is super important that we need to kind of alleviate what's on their plate and kind of like seek professional help from actual professionals because not all community leaders have gone through the necessary steps and education to be able to be a therapist or a spiritual coach or a marriage counselor. Sometimes they don't have that the education and the, the degrees and the certificates. So that's why it's like, we really have to be mindful of who we're asking help from. Um, again, they're amazing. They're community leaders, but at the same time, we can't keep exhausting them. So this is why, this is where you come into play, Zahra. And I think it's beautiful, the work that you do. And this is, it's like I was saying and stressing, it's really much needed specifically in our community. Yeah, totally. Our imams are overstretched and don't have, for many of them, don't have this capacity And as a spiritual coach, that is what I offer and other coaches offer is that connection to you, that intimacy of knowing whatever your struggles with. Many coaches end up being the only person who is truly honest with you. You know, in your life, you may have your parents who don't want to upset you, your friends who may not, you know, they might give you advice, but not go full throttle. But your coach will be like, look, you keep making the same mistake. You've got to do something different. Or I hear you saying this, but then you are afraid to do that that they are the only person who will give you that direct and honest feedback so that you can develop. And it's a relationship unlike any other where you have that judgment-free space to share your deepest fears and scars and worries. I feel unworthy. I don't think people will love me. All those things that we're scared to say out loud, but literally that everyone is thinking. So you don't have to necessarily be scared to say them out loud. But it's true. We are. But it gives you an avenue to express them and then chart a course forward. And I can't really emphasize enough how support, you know, I have my own coach. Her name is Shazia Imam. Oh, I love her. She's amazing. And coaching is invaluable. It is invaluable to have that space because you need to be able to express these things. And especially in today's society, we put up a, such a facade, you know, the facade of Instagram, the facade of the marriage, the facade in the community that I'm a good Muslim or whatever, all of these facades that, you know, are slowly hurting us inside and to have a space where you can just be loose and be your free self so that you can actually work towards living up to the facade, right? You want your life to look like that, but it doesn't really look like that now. But with coaching, you could get there and it won't be a facade anymore. It'll be your reality. But until you do that inner work, and that's the main thing of coaching is that you have to be coachable in the sense that it's inner work. Your life depends on you, how you think, how you believe, your attitude. And those things are all within your control that you can adjust and change. And for many people, they will reach a point where they've gone on a self-development journey and they'll reach a point where they've worked on themselves. They've done this, they've shifted, they've changed. And they'll reach a point where like, that's the limits of how much they can help themselves. And it's when you reach that point that you look towards coaching. So some people do it sooner. They're like, I just want to start with someone from the beginning. But for a lot of people, they'll be doing the work on their own. And then they'll reach a point. They're like, nothing. I'm still working on it, but it's not, I'm not getting results. I'm not changing any change, changing what's going on here. And that's when it's like, okay, you need, now you need an outsider. You know, it's just like learning a sport. You're learning how to dribble. You're getting better at dribbling. Okay. I'm getting better at dribbling, but now you're trying to learn some new trick and you can't do it. Now you need someone to step in and train you and be your coach to learn how to, you know, do this whatever dribbling technique. For anyone who's interested in spiritual coaching, you know, 
please reach out to me. I would love to support you. And I focus on relationships, but really spiritual coaching helps all aspects of your life. It'll help you with your career. It'll help you with your family It'll help you with social, social skills. It'll help you with just bringing more abundance and wealth into your life, peace of mind, all of those things, because the foundation of your identity is what we're working on. And if you change your identity, all of your life changes. And it's really based on, you know, the ayah in the Quran that Allah says, I will not change the condition of the people until they change what is within themselves. So what we do is we change what is within you. And once you do that, your conditions change. You know, I have people who um, have gone through my spiritual coaching programs as single a few weeks later, they've gotten engaged. Right. And this is not with any matchmaking, not with using any apps. This is just you change with what's in you and your outer circumstances change. Because one of the main things about single people is like, I have to find someone. You're not finding anyone. Allah is connecting you with them. You're not going out searching through, you know, one billion single guys to find the one that's for you. Allah will connect them to you. But are you ready? Right. And so the work that we do is to get you ready. And for married couples, you know, so much of just the bad programming and bad conditioning or like like feeling like you're in a pattern and like, how can I be different now? And to support you, even if it's just the one individual in the marriage, it doesn't have to be both. One individual in the marriage can change the marriage, that they can come in, go through coaching to understand themselves, to shift their outlook and their perspective on themselves and on the marriage. And then from that, change their behavior and their stance and their positioning and how they're, you know, we discussed throughout this whole podcast, different ways to engage in conversations. And when you engage in those different ways, your spouse will respond in different ways and your marriage will shift and become better. You know, I believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to have beautiful, loving relationships, to experience the joy and the bliss of this life. You know, so much of our community, we tend to get, oh, this life is, you know, a prison for the believers and you'll have all everything that you want in Jannah. And it's just like, we're just supposed to be miserable and suffering and look, we're oppressed all over the world. So you should be oppressed in your own life here. And it's like, well, I don't know. Like, no. That's not right. (laughs) It's not right. Allah doesn't want us to just be victims and poor and cowardly and weak and uh, fake humbleness of all this stuff. Like, Allah wants, uh, the believers are supposed to be empowered. They're supposed to be the leaders of the planet. Imagine if we had strong Muslim leaders across the world, like how different things would be around climate change, around the global, you know, hunger, around all sorts of these issues. If true Muslims were taking up the mantle of leadership. So we are supposed to be in that empowered stance, dictating our lives and believing in the goodness and the bounty of Allah is for us and is for us right now. And that's the main message that I start with and promote, you know, on all of my channels is that we don't have to be suffering now. We can live beautifully now. And I say that from a place of shifting my own life, of having gone through that experience myself of where I thought I was a victim and life was against me and blah, 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 to now living a life, you know, beyond what I could, what I could have imagined before. And that personal transformation is what really fuels my desire to support other people to have that same transformation. 
I absolutely love how passionate you are about this, Zahra. And it's, it's beautiful because it's beautiful when I feel and I see people connected to their true dreams and passions and what they are meant to do in this dunya and this feeling of abundance and you and your partner are meant to be in a loving and healthy relationship. And I think that's what we need. But it also starts with yourself. Do you have a healthy and, and thriving relationship with yourself? Are you are you able to value yourself um, so that when you meet people that they know where the standards are, they know where to meet you at and not to go below and and it's, I think it's just so beautiful to have a coach and it's nice to know, even know that you're also being coached. And I think it's a cycle that everybody needs this, regardless if you're, you're a coach yourself or not, you also need to be coached as well. And I think that's beautiful, but what's the best way that people can reach out to you if they were to want to seek your help and whatnot. And then also like on social media, is there a way that they can also like reach out to you, look at your content and whatnot, if you want to share your social media handles as well. Sure. Yes. Um, so I have a website. It's Practical Muslim. So it's www.practicalmuslim.com. That's also my Instagram handle at Practical Muslim. I have a Facebook. Uh, you can look up my name, Zahra Al-Jabri for Facebook. I have a personal Instagram account. That's Z for Zahra on Instagram. But yeah, you can also just email me Zahra at practicalmuslim.com. You know, find me anywhere. I'll be happy to respond. I respond to direct messages. I respond to to my emails. I It's me. Um, and I'd love to support you. My goal, my dream is really to support a million Muslims um, to really empower themselves and live from this heightened place. I believe that we can have a you know, the next renaissance of uh, Islamic renaissance of having that golden age of Islam that we nostalgically remember. I think we can bring that back now. And it just starts with us believing that it's possible. Why not? Why not? Can't I be, you know, the Muslim Oprah, the Muslim Steve Jobs, the Muslim JK Rowling, that we are contributing and thriving in this world as we are building for the Akhirah. That's so beautiful. I can't thank you enough for your time and the and your wisdom. Honestly, it was such an uplifting conversation. I was just throwing one question at you after the other. I was like, I need to squeeze these questions in because I really admire just your feedback and, and your knowledge and your perspective on these things. And it's beautiful. And I love how you do shift people's perspectives, even in this just one hour conversation. It's just, it's nice to kind of look at things from a healthy way, from a way where you're not so defensive, where you're trying to understand what's going on and why certain things are happening to you. And I think relationships are something that we can always kind of, it's always a work in progress, um, relationship with others and relationship with yourself, with your family, loved ones and whatnot. So thank you so much for all of your time, your effort, and just everything that you've put into our community, the Muslim community. Um, and inshallah, inshallah, your work reaches many, many people. And inshallah, you continue to be successful. Inshallah, you continue to have a happy and healthy marriage and family. And I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much, Zahra. I mean, thank you. It was really my pleasure. I was so excited to get the call. I'm going to be un unsweetened and unfiltered. I love your podcast. Such an honor to just even just to be able to sit down with women from our community. And it's just like, that's the thing. I feel like we always outsource, outsource, but it's like, no, our community is filled with so many incredible women that are just doing it all and you're included. So I can't thank you enough. And I genuinely hope that we can keep these conversations going. Um, it's just, it's really helping so many women. And I know today you've helped so many women. So thank you so much, Sahara. You're welcome. Welcome.